You can find your way to Ephesians chapter 1. It's where we will be for this morning. We'll pick up, Lord willing, back in John 15 in a couple of weeks. But Ephesians chapter 1, I'm going to start in verse 15. By the way, He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen indeed. That changes everything. Last week at our conference, we looked at the love of God in Christ and how it strengthens and secures our lives as we contemplate it, as we believe it, and experience that love which has been poured out on us through Christ. This morning, uh, we want to consider the great power of God in Christ displayed in the resurrection and how it gives us hope as we contemplate and believe it. Could you use some hope this morning? Uh, Paul says in Ephesians 1.15, For this reason... Because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Now here's what he's praying for us. Verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. And just notice, by the way, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, may give this revelation, this knowledge. Verse 18, "...having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know first what is the hope to which He has called you, second, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and third, what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might, that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead." and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And He put all things under His feet, and gave Him as head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all." And so he prays three things for us. Number one, that you would know the hope of his calling. And with all of these, he means that you would know by experience. You would know the reality of these things. Not just that they are, but that they are yours in Christ. That you would know the hope of his calling. Second, that you would know the riches of his glorious inheritance, which he shares with us in Christ. And third, that you would know the immeasurable greatness of His power on display in the resurrection of Christ. Now, I want us to focus on that third one this morning. So much here, but we need to focus on this third one. The immeasurable greatness of His power on display in the resurrection. Verse 19, again, And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might, which He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead. This is not a little thing. 
he's talking about. Paul, in fact, piles up word after word after word here to get us to begin to to comprehend the sheer magnitude of this power. And not just its magnitude, but its very nature. The word that Paul uses for power here is a word that pictures not not an abstract force, not power in the raw all by itself. It's a word that pictures... God's own power at work. His own personal working of all things for us in Christ. You see, raw power is one thing, and I suppose you can respect such power, but if that power is not specifically deployed for you, I once took a tour of Arkansas Nuclear One uh, down in Russellville, Arkansas, uh, their nuclear power facility there. I had a friend working there. And it was an awesome thing to stand there thinking about the sheer power surging behind those thick concrete walls. But it wasn't necessarily an encouraging thing to stand there. Uh, In fact, it was a little scary because there were all these signs about every time you turned a corner that basically said, don't go past here or you'll die. That was raw power. But it wasn't necessarily a power that you felt safe with, that you could rely upon. But imagine another kind of power. Imagine you and I are threatened by a mob somewhere in some country that's fallen apart and this mob is looking to kill any Westerners that they can find out somewhere, as you see happen occasionally when there's chaos. And so here we are and we're besieged by this mob, but standing between them and us is the 10th Marine Division, fully armed, fully deployed, in charge of the situation. See, that's not just power... That's power that is deployed for us. That's power at work for our good. That's the kind of power Paul is talking about here as he piles up one word after another. The immeasurably great power according to the working of His great might. According to the working. That word working is the Greek word uh, that gives us our word energy, energia, and it speaks of an active power or energy, a power that has been set loose to accomplish its purpose. Not just potential, it's at work. Uh, The words great and might are, are words that also speak of power or ability to accomplish some end, uh, to master a situation or overcome a dangerous foe. And so we're, we're talking here about the energetic working of God's power for us in Christ. God's mighty strength unleashed on our behalf, sent out by Him to accomplish His promised purposes. And so it's no wonder that Paul begins to break out in praise as he thinks about this mighty power. So what is this power? Well, like I said, it's, it's not just the sheer magnitude of it that should encourage us, as great as that is, but it's its very nature. What kind of power is this? Well, that's the next thing here. Second, the immeasurably great power, this immeasurably great power is Christ's 
power for us. Verse 20, the power that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in heavenly places. So the question is, where do we see this power? The answer, we see it in Christ. You see, if you're not careful, you'll miss this. I don't know what it is you hear when you think about the power of God. You know, the power of God. What comes into your mind? Power of God. Because I, I tend to think of His power as Creator. You know, spinning galaxies into existence. Or maybe His power as Judge and Lawgiver. Shaking Sinai with covenant warnings. Flooding the earth in Noah's day with judgment for sin. And certainly those things are demonstrations of God's power. But notice, that is not where Paul goes to talk about this power. When Paul wants to demonstrate the power of God, this this mighty strength unleashed on our behalf, he doesn't turn to God's acts of creation and judgment, but to His gracious, mighty work of salvation. Look at it again. Verse 19 He says, the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might, that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him His right hand in heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. So here is the greatest display of God's power for us. Not the shaking of Sinai, not the flooding of the world, but the resurrection, exaltation, and reign of Christ for us. So let's look at each of those briefly. First, notice that God's mighty power for us is seen in the resurrection of Christ from the dead. Right? He is risen. Making sure you're with me. I don't think we realize what a, what a might and power this is. But this is the earth-shattering reality that has changed everything for us who are Christian. What is the creation of a star compared to the resurrection life that brought Jesus back from the tomb? When Adam sinned, He was our first representative. When Adam sinned, he plunged all humanity with him into this unbreakable bondage to death. Man can do a lot of things today. We have done a lot of marvelous things. But here's something we cannot do. We cannot break this bondage. Man cannot bring life back from stone-cold death. You see, we're not talking about a mere resuscitation here. You know, the guy died on the table and two minutes later we we managed to get the heart starting again. We're talking about the restoration of life from stone-cold death. We're talking about the infusion, in fact, of a new kind of life, of an eternal life, of a lasting spiritual and physical reality that cannot die. By raising Christ from the dead, God made it clear that death, our final enemy, has been defeated. That that terrible grave that every person fears 
has been eternally disarmed. Paul declares that, doesn't he? 1 Corinthians 15, 54, he says, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We've been singing about it all morning. Listen, that's the reality of life from the dead that changes everything for the believer. Christian, in light of that, what do you have to fear? What's the worst the world can do to you? Kill you? And send you straight into the arms of this dear Savior who's gone before to clear death and hell out of the way? Can't you see how this frees you to live boldly to the praise of His glory no matter what stands against you? To risk everything for Him knowing that nothing can separate you from Him? Not only that, this same power of Christ's resurrection has now come to fill our lives. It will take hold of them ultimately on our own day of resurrection, but that same power is filling us with resurrection life now. Romans 8, 11, If the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and if you're in Christ, He does, then He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who indwells you. Resurrection power is at work in you now as you hope in Christ. That's Paul's point. So we've been, we've been raised from the dead spiritually and that resurrection life is at work in us now, changing us, renewing us day by day, giving us hope and victory over sin, working in us to conform us to Christ as long as we live here. And Christian, that means ultimately, ultimately, even your sins can't defeat you. Isn't that good news? This holy life of Christ is winning you over. And He will not stop until He has perfected you after His image in glory, Philippians says. That's the power of God for us in Christ. The power that raised Jesus from the dead. And that power is for you, Paul says. But that's not all. Second, we see also, we see this power in the exaltation of Christ. Verse 20. This is the power, verse 20 says, that God worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in heavenly places. What happened after Jesus rose to the dead? Where did He go? He went to the Father's right hand. Now this is meant to encourage you. This power that supplies us and is at work in us is not this little trickle barely able to keep up with the demands of life, but a raging, mighty river of hope that runs through everything and overwhelms everything in its path as it carries out God's purposes. It can't be stopped. Where do we see this power? We see it, he tells us here, in the exaltation of Christ to the Father's right hand. So again, theology, not only was He raised from the dead, but He is now seated at the Father's right hand of power and dominion. 
And there is so much here in that, in what is called the session or the seating of Christ, that, that I really think that we, we don't tend to think about very much as we ought. But look what he says here. First he says, He is seated at the Father's right hand. Seated. Why is He seated? Well, because His work is finished. It's one of the main points of the book of Hebrew. Several years ago, Mike Williams was here, and he just made this so beautiful. I'd love to hear that sermon again. But Hebrews focuses on the fact that Christ offers us a finished, a completed salvation. It is done, as we sang. That means there's nothing more to be done. There is nothing more for you to add to this salvation. Looking to Christ, you look to Him who finished it. Christ has accomplished all that is necessary. It is finished. Therefore, Hebrews 3.1 says, He sat down. And where did He sit down? At the Father's right hand. In the ancient world, the right hand was the position of power and authority, the place of victory and honor. Only the one who was equal to the king in glory and honor would be allowed to sit at his right hand. And so here is a picture of Christ's kingly majesty, his sovereign reign over all things as victorious conqueror. In other words, applying that to us, the battle is over and our Savior reigns. As far as your salvation is concerned, as far as, as, far as your security in Him, the, the battle is over, our Savior reigns. In fact, not only does He reign, but He represents us there, interceding for us, Romans 8 says, advocating our case, First uh, John verse two, uh, chapter 2 says, so that everything He's accomplished will in fact be given to us. Seated at the Father's right hand, and then notice the extent of His reign. Verse 21 says, He is exalted far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Rule, power, authority, dominion, these are the names people in Paul's day gave to the various ranks and orders of demons and angels that they believed inhabited those heavenly realms. We forget, in our you know, disenchanted, unbelieving age, we forget that for most of human history, people lived in abject fear of these heavenly spiritual forces. They surely feared them too much. We surely fear them too little. And they felt the need to appease these forces by sacrifices. That's where so many of the pagan religions and practices came from. They, they felt the need to find ways to defend themselves against these mighty forces. And, and often that's where various forms of magic and incantation came from. But what Paul is saying to this people who are in that world and see these realities, Paul is saying, whatever powers are out there, whatever powers exist, listen, Christ is far more powerful than they. For He is seated far above all of them. Every one of them lies trampled beneath His feet. And then, just in case 
Paul might have missed one. He says, and every other name that is named. You pick the demon, Paul says. Christ is far above it. One word from Him will send it sprawling in the dust. You pick your fear. Name your boogeyman. Tell me what power or force makes you tremble in the night. Whether spiritual or physical, whether in heaven or on earth, I mean, because these same names Paul uses can also be used of earthly powers and governments and parties and threats of every kind. Pick your demon. I mean, name your fear, Christian. Say it. What is the fear? Whatever it is, Christ is mightier still. Christ is bigger. Christ is badder, in the sense that I'm using that word, right? Uh, infinitely so. Not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And notice this. Not only is there no power now that exists in heaven or earth that can upset God's gracious plan for you in Christ, but there will never exist at any point any such power, not now, not ever, for Christ reigns supreme and He reigns forever. Martin Luther, who surely knew a thing or two about spiritual and physical opposition, wrote this in his wonderful song, A Mighty Fortress. And though this world with demons filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed His truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for Him. His rage we can endure, for lo, His doom is sure. One little word, speaking of Christ, will fell Him. Now that word above all earthly powers, no thanks to Him abideth. The Spirit and the gifts are ours through Him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindreds go this mortal life. Also the body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Uh, Christian, do you realize what a wonderful position you are in? In Christ, no matter what you're facing, no matter what pressures, no matter what sorrows. I mean, is there any wonder that as Paul began this letter in chapter 3 of verse 1, that he began with such praise? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He can say that. He can say that because he knows Christ rules those heavenly places. That he is sovereign over them all. And his sovereign reign is our guarantee that everything he's promised us will be granted to us in him. And that brings us to the third thing here. We see God's mighty power on display for us, not only in the resurrection of Christ, because He's risen, and not only in His exaltation to the Father's right hand, where He reigns, but also in the fact that God has put all things under His feet. This is His sovereignty. I love this picture in verse 22. And He put all things under His feet and gave Him His head over all things 
to the church. In the ancient world, when you utterly defeated your enemy, you would literally make the commander of those forces lie down on the ground and put your foot on his neck. We get a little taste of that in Psalm 110.1, which most quoted Old Testament verse in the New Testament, looking at Christ, says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. It was a visible picture that not only do you have power over this enemy, but you are willing to exercise that power. Church, Christ not only has power over this world that we see in His resurrection and ascension, He is using that power right now. He is working all things for the good of those who love God and are the called according to His purposes. He's doing it right now. He not only can reign, He is reigning. He not only has power, but He's using that power actively and daily for our good and His glory so that nothing happens to us apart from His gracious purposes. Nothing I mean, notice again these words in verse 22, and God put all things under His feet. All things means what? Yeah, and in the Greek, what it means is all things. Right? Each and every thing. Meaning there is no thing then that is not subject to Him. Cancer is in subjection to Him. Governments foreign and domestic, are in subjection to Him. No matter who's in power, no matter what they're doing, God didn't say, oops, I didn't see that coming. The earth and all that it contains are under His subjection. It's been said, not a particle of dust, not, not an atom or molecule or subatomic quark is left out of this equation. Now, does that mean that there is then no evil at work in this world? No, of course there is evil. Until Jesus returns, evil is present. It's a broken world. But but the point is that God rules over and above even the evil that is set loose in this world. And so we can say, as we look at this world, that above and behind all that is happening, Christ reigns and He is reigning right now for our ultimate good in Him. We can look at this world and its threats and its brokenness and say, as Joseph said to his wicked brothers, you meant this for evil, but God meant this for good. His purposes overrule yours. So take your best shot, Satan. Take your best shot, world. Christ reigns. Oh, Christian, what do you have to fear? What hitch can turn up in His plan that He hasn't accounted for? What enemy can thwart His purposes that He can't meet with more than enough to defeat? Nothing, no one, never. And you and I are meant to rest in that. To stop fretting. Oh, we fret so much. To stop worrying about what might or could or, 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 or potentially might happen. To stop worrying and rest in Him. Doesn't mean we don't plan. Doesn't mean we don't pray. We do all these things. But we stop the hand-wringing and fearing over this culture and where it could be headed. And we lift our eyes to see Christ reigning as King. And we follow Him. 
But then third, not only does he reign as king, here's something really wonderful, he reigns as king for us. Third, the immeasurable greatness of his power is his power for the church. Verse 22, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Pay attention to this because this is truly wonderful. All this power at work in and through Christ, again, is not just a raw power sitting up there in heaven somewhere that could potentially be unleashed if it is needed. It is His power presently unleashed for us and in us, working through us for our good and His glory. See what it says there? Uh, First of all, this this all-powerful Christ is God's gift to us who are the church. See that? Verse 22. He put all things under His feet and gave Him as head over all things to the church. Listen. Christ is the gift that keeps on giving. All we have, all we rejoice in, all we trust in, all we hope in, all we need, everything that secures us comes to us through our union with Christ who loves us. This is not an impersonal thing. God didn't just give you a thing and then walk off and hope you make it. He gives you His Son to be with you, His Spirit to indwell you with the Son's presence. This is a personal reality we enter into so that we have nothing without Christ. We claim nothing apart from Christ, but we have all in Christ, which is why we need to stay close to Christ. And so, Christian, this is why you're not called to go out and do something for Him, so maybe He'll love you if you work hard enough. You are called to come believing Him, resting in Him, trusting in what He has done, and following Him wherever He leads. Uh, All this is yours if you're in Christ by faith. Second, because we are the church, it says we are His body, He is our head. He's talking about a close relationship. He's talking about a close relationship. He's the head, we're the body. I mean, that's pretty plain there. God gave Him His head over all things to the church, which is His body. Now, it's very significant, and we need to hear this in this individualistic culture of ours, that as Paul talks here, he's talking in terms of the church as a whole, the body as a whole, not just you off by yourself, just me and Jesus hanging out you know, in isolation. It is in the fellowship of Christ's church that these promises are given and this power is working. Christian, never forget that at the end of the day, it is not about you. It is not about you. It is about Christ. And the love that Christ has displayed and the work that Christ has done, that includes you, if you're His by faith. But it only includes you if you are included by faith in His church, which is His body, and oh, by the way, also His bride. And oh, what a body this is. You see, we're not just a random gathering of individuals who happen to turn up in the building. We are, again, the body of Christ from every nation, tribe, and tongue. We're we're precious to Him. He gave His life's blood to claim us and redeem us and wash us. It is through us that He is now working in this world to make Himself known. He didn't have another plan. It's us. 
And it's in us that He demonstrates His sovereign power and accomplishes His saving purposes as we continue to lead Him. He's the head. He's in charge. He directs our lives and accomplishes His purposes, nourishes us, protects us, leads us as we continue to draw life through Him. And it's as we draw life from Him that He uses us to accomplish His purposes. As we'll see in a couple of weeks in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from Me, you can do nothing. And so that's the last thing here. Third and last, His presence as our risen head permeates us as the church on earth and is alive in us and working through us this very minute. Verse 23, The church which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. The fullness of Him is pleroma in Greek. It's it's that which fills and animates and empowers. And, And this indeed is the only power the church has. It's Christ in us. Because we are nothing in ourselves. We're despised and unknown and unimpressive in ourselves. But we have everything in Him. Again, John 15, 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so it is His fullness that fills us. It is His presence that empowers and strengthens and encourages. That's why as we gather, we preach Christ, not ourselves. We counsel Christ. We point one another to Christ risen and reigning. It's why we... We, we pray together and yield ourselves together to the working of Christ through His Holy Spirit so that Christ may have freedom to work among us. I was thinking about that and I thought as, as your pastors, Kyle and I, Kyle and I truly have nothing to offer you apart from Christ. Nothing. Why would you waste your time coming into this building and listening to me or Kyle or um, Jason, when he preaches next week, why don't you listen to any mortal man? What good is that? What good can we do you? Nothing. But if we preach Christ risen from the dead, if the love of Christ permeates our fellowship as He is present, and the power of Christ's resurrection works in and through our words and actions as He promises, if that's taking place, you'll find everything you need as we gather together. And that is why, church, we must yield everything to this risen Christ. We look to Him by faith. We follow Him by faith. We rely on His promises. We believe that His power is at work. We we, we do that which He commands us, yielding to Him at every step. That This is why we must look to Him in faith. For His is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. He is our help. He is our portion. He is our great need. And He is the gift God gives to meet that need. And so my prayer, my prayer for you this morning is that you and I would know the power of His resurrection. Not only claiming that we believe in the power of His resurrection, 
but that we are leaning on, trusting on, proclaiming, and resting in the power of His resurrection. Friend, are you resting in this all-powerful, risen, reigning Christ? Are you resting in Him? Are you resting in Christ by faith? So, so that then you and I, as members of His body, yielding to Him, can see Him doing His work. So that the whole of our lives might be molded and shaped to the praise of the glory of His grace. That's our need. Because church, He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen And that changes everything. Father, as we look today to the risen Christ, there are many things that we could find to worry about, to fear, to be frustrated over. There are many things, not only in the news and in the world around us, there are things in our own lives that discourage, make us feel beat up, could lead us to give up, But every one of these things is subject to Christ, the risen Lord and Savior. And so even now, I pray that You would give us eyes to see Christ reigning, eyes to see Christ risen, eyes to believe His promise, and to rest all to Him by faith. I pray, Lord, for the one who's joined us. And we're so glad for everyone who is here. But I pray for the heart that is still isolated and alone and cold toward God that You would give it a revolution even now. Turn it. Cause this soul to cry out and to see Christ risen and reigning and say, My only hope, Lord, is in You. My sins are killing me. They're poison. All the things I thought would help me have killed me and are killing me and are separating me from You. Lord, I repent. I turn from these things and I embrace Christ and His promises. And Lord, as You enable me, I will follow You. That You would give that grace that You would cause that, 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 that reality to take hold of the soul and give new life, breathe, Holy Spirit, new life into the soul that trusts in Christ by faith alone. It is in His name we pray. Amen.